let's get it. Radically smaller commerce. You wanna test A B on your PDP? Pop up that AOV and your B2C. Do the 301, avoid the 404. Boost your SEO, get people to the store. Got the latest stack, headless, you react. You want that seamless customer experience attack. Live shopping social, set up your syndication. Be relevant, that's our recommendation. Radically Smarter Commerce is a podcast presented by Aptus with focus on smarter commerce and merchandising. And we will talk about trends, new technology, and the importance of being relevant. We will do this by interviewing site and guests to be inspired by their success stories and insights. And we that are your host is Thomas Schaberg and Frida Olsson. Welcome to this first episode and uh, really excited to get this going together with Frida. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. We are very happy to have a really great guest for the first episode. It's Rain Peak at Arcadia Group. She has worked in many different places. We'll let her talk about her story. But she is a person that has worked and tested and evaluated different approaches and measured the result. And the topic of today is data-driven visual merchandising. And Frida, is that something you have worked with? Definitely. Uh, As a visual merchandiser uh, at H&M, this was almost uh, the daily topic. Uh, What should I do as a human and and what should I leave to the machine, to the machine learning? Okay. And um, I mean, during the podcast series, we'll talk to different people, both within this area, but also within all kinds of areas that concerns e-commerce. And this will be a learning exercise both for us and we hope for you too. And uh, we want to be engaged with you uh, listeners. And one really great way of doing that is to join our Facebook group. And we will, in the end of the podcast, talk about all the platforms that you can connect with us. And without further ado, let's go right into the interview. Today, we are very happy to have Rain Peak, an experienced strategic leader and a person that has worked with merchandising and e-commerce for a long time and had a lot of good insights. So, so welcome to the show, Rain. Hi there. Happy to be here. Yes, a very warm welcome. I was actually so excited uh, about this call uh, that I dreamt about you last night. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll see where this goes. <laughs> but uh, firstly, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, sure. So currently I'm the group customer director at Arcadia. So that's um, working with Topshop, Topman, Dorothy Perkins, um, Burton's, Miss Selfridge, Wallace and Evans. So looking after all of those um, brands and I head up the customer intelligence and experience lab. So um, looking how we can get the sort of customer into the heart of the journey, working with the um digital team the core digital team across those and I also um, lead on Wallace and Evans um, trading so I trade there to e-commerce sites so um, have a lot of kind of um, experience in that world prior to that I was at Farfetch so I was the um, head of visual merchandising and merchandising there so we Farfetch is very much a tech company that does fashion so we looked at a lot of different um, ways of merchandising the site and how we could really um, empower the team by using um, data and 
um, technology to make their jobs easier so that we were kind of putting the real kind of heavy lifting in the arms of machinery to allow the team to be creative. So, um, yeah, and prior to that, I was kind of in a lot of different um, retailers in more bricks and mortar. So we're going to talk a lot about merchandising and visual merchandising, and that will be a reoccurring theme in the podcast as well. So for the ones that are not familiar with the concept, what, what it means, what, what is visual merchandising and, and why do we need it? Um, visual merchandising, I've got a really, um, whenever anybody asks me to describe what it is, I always say to people, if you imagine two stores, so if you think about um, TK Maxx, which um, is obviously a discount store, but it just hurls everything into the store as much as humanly possible. It's a bit of a jumble sale. You can't find anything. You've got to spend hours rummaging around trying to find your size, let alone whether you like it or not. And then if you go into something like um, Selfridges or Harrods, for instance, in the UK, that's a department store that sells very similar kinds of products, but it's laid out in a really different way. It's easy to find. It's inspirational. Um, they're putting things at the forefront of where the customer can find them that they want to sell. And those are kind of the two different things. So visual merchandising is really all about uh, presenting your brand vision trying to um, engage with the customer as much as humanly possible. And obviously, the sort of main thing is to sell by doing all of those things. Yeah. And you, Frida, has worked both in stores as well as online as a merchandiser. Yeah, exactly. And, and I can really, um, I also always struggle to answer the question, what do you do and what is uh, visual merchandising? Because it's not, not that easy. And it's often, uh, and, you, and you as well uh, talk about this soft value, uh, both soft value of, uh, of the product and soft value of, of the company as well. And I think the brand value uh, is really important. That's something that, that we human can, uh, can do and, and present, but maybe not an algorithm or machine learning if, if we if we talk about that uh, and also I, I believe uh, what is um, important uh, important task or important uh, yeah daily daily thing to, to consider as a visual merchandiser is, is is to spot trends I mean to, to get the customer to buy something they don't understand that they need <laughs> if, if you know what I mean uh, and that is also something that maybe only human uh, can can do yeah I mean I think I used, I used to say quite a lot we were trying to show the customer what they know they don't want yet yeah exactly yeah and how did you you mentioned when you were at farfetched you you looked at this what you could do automatically with algorithms and, and other stuff uh, how did you get into it what was your first sort of touch point with these opportunities that that you could have as a, a tool or as a help when you worked with merchandising um, I think one of the first things that we looked at was obviously the data. So we looked at um, all of the different metrics and all of obviously visual merchandising in e-commerce, you've got far more touch points than you have um, in a store. In a store, all of those things that are going on in your brain, um, you're trying to replicate in actually an algorithm or in data or in um, different ways of working. Um, so we just kind of broke it down um, into sort of different layers of things. We were um, always looking at the conversion rate to try and optimize conversion. So a really simple thing, one of the first things we did is um, if you have everything in stock um, in each size, that will always convert higher than if you've just got 
400 of something in one size. You can have four in four sizes. Um, and kind of flipping from actually it's not the amount of stock you have, it's the amount of relevant stock you have. So kind of using things like that, proving that first. Um, and then we looked at uh, Farfetch had a lot of new products and it had products that a lot of things that came in and out of stock because it was a marketplace. Um, so we then um, fed in an element of newness. So there had to be 25% weighting towards newness um, just to try and because it was a very high fashion brand. Um, you'd end up with lots of pairs of black trousers at the top because they are what sell if you don't kind of have that element within it. And then we kind of just iterated on those things and kind of looked at them. Um, and what we found was that it was really brilliant to have a tool that did a lot of the heavy lifting so that the visual merchandisers themselves could just then go in and layer in that kind of trend piece, um, what was on emails, what was on homepages and all of those things onto the top of it. But the core underlying structure um, was what was selling. So I think there's kind of two different ways of kind of looking at it. There's what you want to present, which is probably or sometimes can be different from um, the algorithmic element of it. Okay. Um, did you experience um, what what to call it like a trust issue uh, from your visual merchandisers in the beginning, or did you just say, okay, yeah, this will be great? Yeah. Um, and I think there was a lot of um, not a lot of issues with it, but I think obviously people are human; they have emotions. I think visual merchandising is a quite emotive sort of discipline because it's, it's a very trend and taste led way of merchandising. So if you're a very creative visual merchandiser, it's all about taste and it's about, you know, this is the most, uh, you know, I know that yellow is a brilliant color this season. It was pink last season, but I'm going to go with yellow. So it's very emotive and you, it's very difficult to measure. So um, Farfetch had a huge A-B testing um, functionality. And so we A-B tested a lot of things. And if you A-B test things, obviously the power is in what works. And, the, and yeah. you have to look at a lot of different metrics as well because there's that kind of old adage that if you weight things low to high, the conversion will be higher, but it's actually as a business, not what you want to do. So we measured conversion, AOV and revenue and kind of various other kind of metrics just to make sure that by doing some things, we weren't disadvantaging other things as well. But I think I think the kind of the A-B testing, the value in the amount of pages that you can merchandise more um, if you um, have machine learning and have machine capability within it, I think it's quite exciting. So then the once you kind of understand all of those things, you can then actually think, actually, I can concentrate on these things that I would never normally do, or I can kind of build different sets that I would never normally do um, and kind of become more creative, which is obviously what humans are better at. Absolutely. Is there more to say about that? What what actually we are better at as hum humans? What 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 can't you do today with algorithms? Or what can you do that would surprise you? Um, I think one of the things that we um, not struggled with, but had to be very very aware of, is that algorithms are always backwards looking. So they will always give you a version of what happened in the past. So if you are a fashion retailer, you've probably got quite distinct or generally have quite distinct seasons. So in a winter season, you'll want to, um, when you launch, there won't be that bank of data 
in the algorithm because it will still be um, recommending all of the summer things because they've got all of that data within them. So you have to be aware that of what weighting you put within those things to kind of switch seasons and also towards the end of the season when you're trying to get rid of things. So if you're trying to get rid of all your winter coats, hats and scarves because it's going to become hot very soon, um, the things that aren't selling are the things that you put into sale um, and by definition, those are the things that are not going to be weighted highly in the algorithm because they're not working. So you've got to kind of think, actually, how do you flip that? Um, and how do you um, almost expose the worst sellers? Because when there's a price change, they will then become best sellers because you've changed another element of the of the kind of makeup of those products. So I think those kind of seasonality changing things are where humans have to kind of either tweak the metrics within the algorithms or become much more involved in how it kind of or how it kind of works it's not and it's not entirely impossible I think you've just got to be aware of the different things and I think you've got to think actually an algorithm is an amazing thing and it can do loads and loads and loads of things but it's it, it doesn't particularly have common sense or it doesn't have um taste and trend so if you can kind of uh, eliminate those people that those elements to humans and kind of get the algorithm to do all of its amazing things you kind of have a really kind of powerful combination talking about powerful combinations you might have noticed that we have a hip-hop theme for the podcast so what would you call yourself if you were a rapper <laughs> so um yeah i've obviously got quite an unusual name for the uk anyway so um rainy p yeah that's good my husband is, uh, or used to be in his youth, a DJ, and he used to be called Marky P, so I can be the equivalent. <laughs> okay, so that's already out there in the market. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so Marky P and Rainy P. Yeah, sounds fine. <laughs> Great. Maybe you actually got some beats as well. You know. From your husband, and now. <laughs> we shouldn't take it that far. <laughs> Radical leads, smaller commerce, you want to test AB on your PDP, pop up the AOV. Have you got a funny story or so where things didn't go as expected when you tried to automate things? Yeah. When we um, changed the algorithm on the sale pages for the first pay first day of sale, I reweighted everything up that was not a bestseller um, because I thought actually with the price changes and all of those things, it would be brilliant. And it was it was pretty much a disaster because they were so awful. So you kind of have to have a combination of worst sellers and best sellers next to them to kind of elevate those different product types. Um, and it's kind of the association of the worst and the best seller works. So if you just have best sellers, they're obviously that's self-fulfilling, they will still be best sellers. Mm. But if you just have worst sellers, it's a kind of a bit of a double whammy. So we had to quickly change it. Okay. <laughs> okay. You can see things happening really quickly. So you can obviously see actually that revenue from that page was really not what it should be mm. so you, you can revert really quickly yeah that's the good thing about it yeah but that is also one thing i mean uh, you were then maybe lucky or if it was um, something you planned for but that can also happen i mean during night yeah uh, and that is also something humans doesn't work 24 uh, 7 and 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 that is both both to be proactive or reactive uh, to that kind of thing so yeah yeah i mean we always look at our, um, all of the pages, all the important pages first thing in the morning, just to make sure if anything's changed or if things have, you know, gone out of stock or if anything's kind of gone a bit awry. Because you can spot it obviously so much quicker than looking at loads of data. 
So having worked more with data, having worked with these kinds of algorithmic solutions, what has been the key learnings for you and your team by doing this? I think the scale is a really massive learning because any company I've worked in, visual merchandisers, if you're just doing it by human, the scale of what you can merchandise is very, very limited. And you only ever do the top 50 items and then the next 50 and then the next 50. Whereas an algorithm merchandises all sites, uh, all pages all the time. Um, so the, just the volume of um, merchandising is, is amazing. And the fact that you can really tell whether a product has been seen and whether it's actually product failure in that it's never going to sell or it actually hasn't been seen I think and I think a lot of retailers struggle with those two things and the exposure of products so I think you kind of have a real um, much more a handle on your catalog and what's working and what isn't working um, and I think one of the sort of other key elements that's um, super exciting and I think it's really exciting for the visual merchandising teams is the fact that you have all of this data and you can prove things because visual merchandising is really subjective um, and everybody is always like, but I want to have that blue top in you in because that's what I've bought and it's amazing. Um, and I'm sure the blue top is amazing, but you think you've then got the data to prove it. Um, and you've got the data to prove where things should be, how they're reacting. Um, and that also, um, it's not always just about stock margin and sales. There are loads of other metrics that you use, click through, you know, obviously, um, click through rates, add to baskets and all, add to baskets, all of those other digital metrics kind of aligned with all of the traditional, um, more, yeah, more traditional sort of uh, merchandising metrics are much more powerful. And I think it's, it really enables and empowers the teams to, um, use that data and be confident in that data so that when they are um, challenged or when things work really well, you can kind of really um, shout about that and kind of have confidence in what you're doing. Yeah. And I think uh, that is really something very important to have confidence. Uh, and I don't know about you, but um, from my from my experience anyway, being a, a visual merchandiser, uh, in a sense, is it is about feelings and it is about um, the, yeah, you just, you know, sense something and you can't really prove why it works or not. And in that sense, you, all, um, you also don't get um, not the respect uh, of the work you do, but, but um, I can't find a better way word for it for it either but but i i felt that when we got the a b testing because uh, it's quite new uh, to the, to the business as well uh something happened to to my own um pride uh, in what I'm doing because I can really say no this actually works yeah uh, so I think it's uh yeah it, it is really really something important that you that you highlight there which is also part of course uh, of the machine learning in such yeah exactly so what do you see on the horizon? What, what uh, is things that you see is coming or that you would want to come uh, in this area? Um, I think there's a lot spoken about personalization. So I think that's obviously going to become um, much more of a um, topic. And I think um, I think there's obviously going to be hyper-personalization and that's obviously quite developed in a lot of retailers. Um, and I think that's only going to become more and more and more. I think that also will sometimes personalization to sort of my earlier point means that you are then conflicted with actually trying to show somebody 
um, something new. So it's how you kind of combine those two things. And it's how you, if you've got quite a big product catalog, show them, show the, the person what you want them to see that's new as well as the personalization. So I think how you kind of use a kind of standard bell curve to get more data into the sort of lifestyle of products. And this is something that I think is really interesting. So it's how you kind of cohort people to show kind of um, similarities between different types of things that they like that are a bit more left field. So not just that you've seen black trousers or not just so you've seen a yellow top, but also um, Frida really likes green tops. So I think I like green tops because we have quite similar habits and it's how you can kind of extrapolate that data a bit further um, so that it's not quite so blunt. Um, so it's kind of sort of creating those hierarchies of different kind of ways of, of looking at things. Um, and I think in terms of um, the kind of sort of a, a sort of a fashionability metric, I think there's a lot of interest in all of those things. So how you kind of cohort your customers into sort of early adopters. Um, so then you know how to then leap that information back into the buying cycle. I don't think we're very good at leaping information back into the buying cycle in terms of visual merchandising metrics and then also all the other kind of metrics like search metrics and things. I think all of those things, if you can get all of those things together would be super, super powerful because you're actually um, informing the buyers of what they can do quicker. So, you know, if something's got a huge like click-through rate and is, you know, performing really, really well from all of the data that you've seen, you probably want to buy more of it. Great. Thank you so much. Rainy P or Rain Peak, <laughs> aka Rain Peak. Uh, lovely to have you here today. If anyone wants to get in contact with you, where can you best be reached? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn, so if anybody can find me there, um, I'm quite easy to find because there's only one Rain Peak. And uh, yes, yeah, or just rain.peak at arcadiagroup.co.uk. Okay, super. So thank you very much, Rain, for being on the show and see ya. See you. Bye bye. To be up to date with podcast-related matters, please follow our LinkedIn page. And if you want to participate in discussions or recommend topics and guests, please join our Facebook group as well. Just search for Radically Smarter Commerce and you will find us. And of course, if you want to contact me or Thomas directly, you can always reach out on LinkedIn. And you find this podcast on all platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Acast, as well as at radicallysmartercommerce.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review if you like the podcast. It helps us to find new listeners. And you can also follow Aptus at LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. See you in two weeks. <laughs>